you for listening to Sozo Church in Spokane, Washington. For more information on Sozo Church, visit sozospokane.com. Sozo Church. Good morning, Sozo. How's everybody doing this morning? Awesome. I pray you are well. My name is Mark Blair. My wife and I serve as the lead pastors here. We are super excited, honored, and blessed that y'all decided to come hang out with us this morning. Um, man, I, I don't know. This, this, this whole day, I, I knew we were going to be honoring uh, Mama Malat this morning. That's what those of us who know her well call her. That's not awkward at all. Um, so <laughs> uh, I, I knew we were going to, and it just got me thinking about just the, the ridiculous faithfulness of our God. We have a saying around here, we, we believe that legacy is better than destiny. That whatever God has called you to, while that might be amazing, it might be profound, it might be significant, what he has called his people to is far greater and far bigger and far more substantial, amen? It's amazing to me, I was, I was thinking about this as we, were, as we were preparing this morning, just that, that God identified himself in the Old Testament as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He didn't just say the God of Abraham, not just a one-generation God. He's a, he's a multi-generational God. The, the vision and the purpose that God has in the earth is gonna take more than our life can fulfill. It's a bigger vision than any one of us are gonna be able to, to sustain or fulfill on our own, and yet he gives us this responsibility and this blessing so that we would, we would come alongside one another. And one of the most amazing testimonies to me of what God is doing in and through this house is the multi-generational aspect of it. Um, I'll just be transparent this morning. When, when people find out that I'm a pastor, they just automatically assume that I only have 12-year-olds in my church. Like tattoos, ear, yeah. youth pastors. Like, well, I did for a long time, yeah. And um, most of the people in my church still act like they're in the youth. But, um, <laughs> um, but, but I love the fact that the way that the Lord has built this house and put this house together in the merge and even before, it's just it, that, that he's moving across the generations, amen? And so uh, we, we honor and we celebrate the, the pillars in this house and, uh, and, and, and we... we not only do we honor those that are pillars in this house, but, but I get excited thinking about the, the kids that are, are, are downstairs right now growing up in this house and becoming those pillars as, as we move forward. So, so uh, amen. Amen? All right, let's, let's jump into the word. I got a lot to cover this morning, uh, and that was all extra, so I'm, I'm not counting that time. I'm just not. Um, so if, if you've got a Bible, we, we've been studying through the Gospel of John. I, I believe this week we will wrap up chapter 5, um, which is exciting. I think we made it through this chapter faster than any other, um, which I have mixed feelings about, if I'm going to be totally honest. Just being real. Um, if you've got a Bible or a computer with a Bible on it or a phone with a Bible on it, uh, John chapter 5, verse 30. We're going to read verses 30 through 47, finish out the chapter. If you've got a Bible and you got the, that, that pulled up, even if you don't, let's go ahead and stand to our feet. Uh, we're going to read God's word. We love God's word, amen? amen. We love our Bibles. Amen. Come on, a lot, lots will be said this morning, but, 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 but what you are about to hear is the living, active, breathing word of God. 
And so we stand, not to make you feel uncomfortable or awkward, but to honor that which the Lord has given us to reveal his heart, his will, and his person to us. So, John chapter 5, verse 30, this is Jesus speaking. He says, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that, his, or that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. But that, not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father has sent me, and the Father who has sent me, sorry, uh, has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen, and you do not know you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If anyone comes in his own name, you receive him. How, do you how can you believe when you re receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed in Moses, you would believe in me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Let's pray together this morning, church. Holy Spirit, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you that it is living and active. We thank you that it is clear and articulate, that it, that it delivers to us the truth that we need. And we thank you, Jesus, that you are the, 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 the life that we long for and, and that you give us the scriptures, the, the, the word of God, the Bible, to point us, to lead us, to reveal you to us. And so that's our prayer this morning, God, that as we come to the word, Holy Spirit, that you would breathe life upon it and show us Jesus that you give us eyes to see and ears to hear Jesus, that, that you, Jesus, would be glorified and exalted and magnified in this place as we see you, that we would recognize your superior quality, that we would recognize and respond to your supremacy above all things. God, that our hearts might rejoice in you and that you might be glorified in this place by transforming us. Let us hear your word. Let it change us. Let it shift what needs to be shifted within our very souls. Make clear to us the reality of all that you have accomplished for us as your people. We ask that you grant repentance and restoration and reconciliation to us today. In Jesus' name, everybody said? Amen. Come on, everybody said? Amen. Go ahead and high five some people and grab a seat.
Have you ever had the wonderful, awkward experience of being outside of an inside joke? <laughs> that, that awkward, like everybody in the circle that you're a part of, like they make a joke and you're just like, <laughs> you have no clue what's going on. And then you worry afterwards, like, did I laugh at something I shouldn't have laughed at? Did I not laugh at what I didn't want? And, and it's, just, it's just awkward. It's uncomfortable when you, when you feel like you're outside, when, you, when you're lacking the information you need to sort of relate to the, to, the, to the circumstance that you're in. And I think that's actually what happens to us when we approach this text and this whole dialogue that Jesus has had from the beginning of John chapter five. It starts with him healing a man at the pool of Bethesda and then he confronts, or he gets confronted rather by, by the Jewish leaders because he does it on the Sabbath and that breaks their rules and they think it breaks God's rules, but it doesn't really because they don't understand the nature of the Sabbath at, at, at all anyways. And, and so then he launches into this long, di long dialogue sort of confronting their dogmatic fundamentalism, their, their dead lifeless religion. And he sort of confronts them, and that's where we are now sort of coming to the culmination of this. And in the midst of his statements, he's making some bold and scandalous, really shocking claims about himself that I think are mostly lost on us, if I'm going to be honest, because of our Old Testament illiteracy. Most of us, if, if we're honest, think that like, well, I like hanging out in the back of the Bible because that's where God sort of gets nice, Sort of think of the Old Testament God as a different God. He's like an angry junior hire. Got his chest puffed out. He's just looking to throw down, right? He discovered the weight room in the junior high, and he thinks he's the man now. And the reality is it's one God consistently throughout the entirety of Scripture, and Jesus is coming as the culmination of, of, of the promises of God. Jesus is making these bold claims about himself, and, 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 and I wonder, uh, who does Jesus think he is? N not like, who do you think you are? But like, like <laughs> what is the, 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 the truth that he believes about himself? And I, I want to back up in these verses real fast, because I think we need to look at this from what Jesus says about himself. We started in verse 30, but if we back up to verse 26... Jesus talking about himself here says, he has given him, this is the father has given the son authority to execute judgment because he is the? Because he is the? Son of man. Because he is the son of man. So Jesus says that he, he can claim this responsibility, these actions that he's doing because of this identity, because he is the son of man. Now we, we've talked a little bit about some of this in the past, um, the, the, the reality that Jesus is 100% God and 100% man. Okay, we, we've, we've dove, dove into this a, a little bit as we've walked through this. Um, to, to, to sort of quote the creeds, this is kind of the way they, they, they summarize that, that Christ recognized in two natures without confusion, without change, without division, and without separation. Okay, so, so we, we, we've got we've to kind of grasp a hold of that, that without confusion means that the Lord Jesus Christ is not what we, you get when you, when you mix yellow and, and, and blue together. You get like some new thing, right? Like you mix yellow and blue, you get... Some of you are like not sure. You're like, I don't think... I'm going to let somebody else say it first. 
He has two natures, but they're not confused. It's, he's not a third thing. That's what they mean by confused. It's without change. Meaning that in, in assuming human flesh, Jesus did not cease to be what he was before. That, that the, the incarnation affected no substantial change in his divine sonship. Okay, we, we tracking together here? Without division, the, the two natures of God, of, of, of God or, sorry, the two natures of Christ do not represent a split in the divine person. Jesus Christ, meaning he's not half God and half man. He's fully both. Without separation, the union of the human and divine in the person of Jesus Christ is a real organic union, not simply a moral uh, sympathy or relational partnership. He, he really is God. Doing my best here, people. He really is God, and he really is man. Okay, he's, he's both simultaneously. And so, so what we get, why I bring that up is when we, when we see this, uh, this, this, this title, Son of Man, I bring this up because I, we, we also see him use the title Son of God. And what he's doing here is he's, he's demonstrating this dual nature, this, 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 this reality of having two natures. He's this, this hypostatic union in Christ. He, he is both. And that's kind of what I always sort of left it at. Well, that's, that's what he's doing. He's just showing us that he's both. So, so I, I am honest, I, I was fully prepared to talk about the reason why Jesus is able to execute judgment and give an authority to execute judgment is because he's the son of man, he relates to us. And while I think that's true and I don't think there's anything wrong with that, I actually think that the, the, what's really going on, what Jesus is really saying is he's on the inside of a communication that we're on the outside of. He's actually making a much bolder claim than just that he can relate to us on a human perspective. If you still got a Bible out, um, you can flip here with me. If not, it'll be on the screens. But uh, Daniel chapter seven, I think Jesus is actually quoting this when he calls himself the son of man. Daniel here, a prophet in the Old Testament, he says this, I saw in the night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. Son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and, he and, and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. So Jesus here is actually hearkening back, I believe, to these verses when he says, I, I'm the son of man. Why can I do all this? Because this is who I am. I'm, I am the, the one who, who has been prophesied. I'm the one who's been called forth. What Jesus is doing is Jesus is actually claiming to be the bodily fulfillment of Daniel chapter 7. He's saying, I am the bodily fulfillment of this ancient biblical prophetic promise of a deliverer. One that would come from the clouds, but yet present himself to God. How does that work? Well, he's both God and he's man. So he comes from the clouds and yet he presents himself to God. He has a heavenly origin. He relates to God. 
He's given dominion and authority. This is the, the, the reason why he says I can judge and I can heal and I can, I can behave the way I behave in this life because of the authority that I'm given and I'm given that authority because of who I am. I am this one who is to come. And then he's given a new, exalted, inclusive, eternal kingdom. And that's the kingdom that we are invited into now. No, 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 no. Now. Not like you don't, this, you don't have to die to get there. You get to live in it now. We live in the rule and the reign of Christ now. He is currently seated ruling in heaven today. Okay, he, he, he is ruling. Look, look, you can be as concerned as you want to be about who wins the election next year, but the incumbent will still be on the throne. Okay, he's not up for re-election. He's there, he's ruling, and he's reigning. He is the supreme, supreme court. Hey, he, is, he is the ruler of all. We're not waiting for that to happen. We're not hoping that like eventually that takes place, and, but for now, we just have to be a part of a kingdom that's getting its, key, its teeth kicked in. No, we, we are a part of a kingdom, we read it in the beginning of our worship service, that cannot be shaken. It's an eternal, everlasting, exalted, and I love this, it's an inclusive kingdom. It's not, it's not a biological or a national kingdom. This is why, and I, we had a great example of this with our team that went to India. You, you, can, you can travel from here to India. I, I don't honestly think, if I would have to rack my brain pretty hard to think of two cultures that at their base are more different than the American culture and the Indian culture. One is based on Judeo-Christian ethics and one is based on Hindu ethics, okay? Hindi ethics, and so, so they're very different and yet Christians can meet there and they have more in common than they have apart from one another. They're brothers and sisters in Christ. They're more together. Listen, listen, I have more in common, and this is gonna offend some of you, and you're welcome. I, I, I have more in common with somebody here who trusts Christ, even though we may disagree on several other things, than I have with my own family members that do not trust Christ. Okay, that, that's, that's because we're a part of his kingdom. It's not because we're in a club together. Okay, it's not because we just get to like hang out and we all go to the, no, it has nothing to do. It's because my truth, my true identity is found in that kingdom because of who Christ is. Jesus is here saying, I am this one. This was the promised one who would come sent by God to deliver us from the bondage and the baggage of our sin and our enemy Satan. And Jesus here is claiming to be our deliverer. If you're taking notes, we're gonna title the message this morning, Our Deliverer. Jesus is claiming to be our deliverer. At that moment of, 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 of declaration, these people react. And what's interesting is in, in this promise isn't just from Daniel, it's consistently throughout the Old Testament. Do you realize that that the second our, our first parents, Adam and Eve, fell when they rebelled and God comes down and yes, he pronounces judgment because yes, he is a judge. We've been talking about this lately, he's got a judge. Is that the way he wants to relate to us? No, he wants to relate to us as father. But he is a judge. His, father, his, his fatherhood over us does not diminish or delete his status as judge. He, he is judge because he is just, come on and he is good, and he is right. And so he judges sin in the beginning. 
and, and the world is shattered because of our sins, so we are judged because of it. But even in that same exact moment, he promises a deliverer. He says, he says, yeah, the, 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 there's, gonna be, there's gonna be a war between the serpent representing sin and Satan, and there's gonna be, uh, between that and between humanity, there's gonna be enmity and, and an enemy status between the two of you. But yet there will come one, the seed of a woman, uh, representing, foreshadowing the, 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 the virgin birth of Christ, and he will crush the head of the serpent. There's been a promised deliverer, and Jesus is saying, I am your deliverer. I'm the one who's come to deliver you. And, and I, 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 we, we have to get this. If Jesus really is who he says he is, this changes everything. Not just get out of hell free card. Okay, I'm super happy that I don't have to go to hell. Like on the list of very thankful things. If you're struggling this Thanksgiving around the dinner table, right? Like say something that you're thankful for. Like I'm really super glad I'm not going to hell. And then you can just lead right in. Would any of you like to not go to hell? Because I think some of you are. And then just nicely lead them to Christ. It's called evangelism, people. Be bold. Um, don't do that and don't tell anybody I told you to do that. Right? You, you can... You, <laughs> I'm really glad I'm not going to hell. I'm really glad that most of you aren't either. And, and none of you have to. We'll be clear about that later. But I'm super glad I'm going to heaven. That, that, that post my death, I will have unbroken union and fellowship with the Father. Su super glad about that. But you want to know the reality is that's available to each and every one of us now. That same access is available to us. That same openness. He's promised to never leave us or forsake us. He's promised to always be with us. He's, he's promised to abide with us. He says that there is an anointing. There's a, there's a presence that he has in us that abides, that remains, that stays. He's with us and we're with him. Changes everything. It changes everything. So, so my question then is, as we look through this, is, is how did Jesus know that that's who he was? How, how did Jesus know? How can we know that, that, that Jesus is being truthful in his statement? And this leads me to, to wonder, how can anybody know who they are? There's, there's, whole, there's whole arms of, of science you know, that, that's trying to figure this out. How can we know who we are? And, and they mostly boil down to two primary ways that we figure out who we are either a personal understanding or a social or cultural understanding of who we are. These are the, these are the two ways that we, we mostly boil down uh, figuring out our own identity, either from a personal understanding or from a social cultural understanding. So the, the personal is I am who I say I am. I am who I say that I am. I, I make my own declaration of who I am. I'm the only one who can know me and my, my subjective experience, emotions, and earnestness prove that that's who I am. How I feel about myself, what I think about myself, and what I really just decide and believe, my earnestness in that, that proves who I am. This is the one, let's be real, that's celebrated in our culture. 
We have a very, very individualistic culture. We, we, we were founded this way as a nation, personal, private liberties, right? Like I, I get my own way, I am my own person and nobody can tell me otherwise. Proof point, American Idol. These people genuinely are shocked that they can't sing. Nobody else is, but they are blown away that, that the judges are not blown away, right? Because, because we live in this, this society, this culture that says, I can define everything about myself based upon my own subjective experience, emotions, and earnestness. That that's what really matters. And, and this, is, this has led to all sorts of, of logical inconsistencies in our world, where now, if I wanna claim that I'm a toaster, I, everyone else has to say that I'm a toaster. I wanna, I wanna try this out with my credit union and call them up and say, I now self-identify as a millionaire and I expect you to come in alignment with that and say that I am as well. They just hung up, I don't understand. Um, and, and the reality is though, this isn't just something that's, in, that, that's that far down the road, it's, it's everybody, we all do this. We all do this, and so, so the problem then with this idea, the, the shortfall, the, the lack here, that when you try to define yourself is that nobody lies to you as much as you lie to you. I love you. <laughs> nobody lies to you as much as you lie to you. And I mean that in both ways. You, 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 you are harder on yourself for the most part than anybody else is. You think you're worse than you really are. And at the same time, you think you're better than you really are. Dual opportunity offense here. So regardless, that, that we, we lie to ourselves all the time. I, I, I say it all the time. The older I get, the better I was, right? <laughs> I'm, I'm bumping up in 40 now, and the more I think about myself in my 20s, like, I was awesome. I don't think I actually was that awesome. I just think it's been long enough that I forgot how bad I was. <laughs> but the older I get, man, the better I was. <laughs> Talk to anybody who had a great high school football career. The older they get, come on, the better they were. Throw a football over a mountain. And, uh, and so, so, so the problem is we, we lie to ourselves. We, we try to convince ourselves we're not as bad as we are. We try to diminish the, the good that is there. And so, so apart from Christ, we are unable to see ourselves clearly. So if we try to base our identity off ourselves, we can't. And Jesus says that here. He says, it's not my own testimony. If I just testified about myself, if I just thought that I was this person and tried to claim to be this person, then you'd have a reason to doubt. You'd have reason to not trust me. You would have reason to believe that nothing has changed. I'm just crazy. But he says that's not the case. He doesn't base his identity upon himself. The other way being a social construct. So I am who others say that I am. Now this one is, is sort of uh, pushed back upon in our society and, and rejected in our culture because again, I, I'm my own boss. Nobody can know me except for me. But if you go to, you know, that's sort of the Western way, but if you go to Eastern cultures or tribal cultures where the family is still at the core of society, you are defined by your family. You are defined by your society because that, that's just the way it is. And here's, here's, what, here's the, the reality. They, they are able to see things that you might not be able to see, and so they call those things out on you. But the problem with this, the problem with this understanding of ourselves is that others are simply powerless to transcend our strengths and our weaknesses. And here's the truth. It, it is actually crippling 
to, to be despised for your weakness and to only be honored for your strength. To only be honored for what you can bring to the table. To only be respected because of what you can produce or provide. It's, and, but others around you have the same limitations that you have looking at them. You cannot transcend what you experience about them. Again, speaking here completely from a humanistic, unregenerate position, that, that's the limitation that we have. And, and, and this, this is where we, we get the, our identity. Maybe you say, well, I don't base my identity off of others, but do you base your identity off what you can do? Then you're basing your identity off of others, off the social and cultural constructs that you engage with every day. You are who you are because of the job that you have or because of the sales that you can make or because of the, the achievements that you've accomplished or the addiction that you've overcome or the marriage that you have that's successful or the marriage that you have that failed or whatever it might be. You started self-identifying from the cultural norms that you're part of. And here's, the, here's what I need you to see. Neither of these are, 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 are sufficient. <laughs> these two things, Jesus says here, it's, it's not, listen, I don't define myself based upon myself, my own thoughts about myself, nor do I look to others. I don't receive, he says, glory from others. I'm not looking for your validation. I'm, I am who I am. Now, I wanna, I wanna tension this here before I even move on to say that, that God will use other people, come on, to speak life into you to call things out of you. We are called fundamentally, come on, especially as believers, to community. We are called to live life with one another. And we need one another to speak truth and speak love and speak grace into our lives and into our hearts. We, we need that. We're, we're built to be dependent upon one another. And yet Jesus didn't allow his personal orientation nor public opinion to be the foundation of what he believed about himself. The, the way I like to put it is, is, is the testimony of others, listen, makes, makes really good walls in your house and makes really bad foundations in your house. It can be a part of what builds you up, but it can't be what you rest upon. It can't be what you base everything in your life upon, just the, the whims of people. So what Jesus did is Jesus didn't go with option one or option two. Jesus shows us, as he so often does, a third way. He shows us a third way. What does he say? He says, I am who the Father says that I am. My identity doesn't come from myself or other people. It's not based on my emotions because my emotions and my experience and my earnestness, come on, that, that, that is all, listen to me, temporary, transient, and at best tumultuous. Come on. They, they shift with every, every single wind that comes along. My emotions can change. So I can't base it upon that. No, I base it upon God's emotions, God's experience, and God's earnestness toward me, which is stable, which is steadfast, come on, and which is sure. It doesn't change. There's no shadow of changing or alteration in God. And so Jesus says he bases this upon that. Jesus based his identity on the assignment and association found in his father's affection. That, that's, that's, that's the text that we read. He says, I base my identity off of, off of the, the assignment that God has given me, off of the association, the relational connection I have with him, and the love that he expresses toward me. That's the, the basis of what I, 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 I build my identity upon. Why did Jesus think he was Daniel 7's fulfillment? Because of what the Father gave him to do, because of how the Father related to him, and how the Father felt about him. 
Everything was founded upon his relationship with the Father. The gravity of his, assi- his divine assignment revealed his identity. He says, I, I'm given the job of pronouncing judgment. That job is what shows me what I'm called to do. God asked Jesus to do what he did because of who Jesus is. God calls Jesus, I know this seems simplistic, but please track with me. God calls Jesus to deliver a people, so Jesus then knows that he is the deliverer. Are you tracking with me? The thing that we have got to grasp, though, is that your, the, the calling of God on your life as a son is meant to reveal your identity as a son, not to, to, to say that it's a means that you have to earn or merit that position. We, we get this backwards sometimes. You're not, you are not, let me say it this way, you are not your calling. If you're a believer here, if you've, if you've repented, put your faith in Christ, if you have been moved from death to life, then I believe that there is a purpose, what we call a calling upon your life. There's a reason that God redeemed you. It's not just for, for your own benefit, but we are blessed to be a blessing. Come on, we have been given so that we can give. And, and there's a, a purpose there, but, but that calling is not your identity. That calling is because of your identity. Because of who you are, God calls you to do things in line with what you are called to do. Your performance does not earn or merit your position in the kingdom or the family of God, but your position qualifies you to do what your calling calls you to do. Are you tracking with me? Your performance does not earn or merit your position in the kingdom or family of God. Your position qualifies you to do what your calling calls you to do. It qualifies. You, 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 you are given license to do that. It is, it is the, it is the, your calling, let me put it this way, is the badge that gives you authority to do what you're called to do. Like, 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 like a police officer is given a badge so you know that you have to do what he tells you to do. But that badge is not who he is. And, and I, I harp on this because I think it's so easy, come on, to mingle these things in our heart. And I just, I am what I'm called to do. And so then I, if, I, if I buy into that, then when I do, listen, listen, this is why it's important. When I do good, then I think God loves me more. And when I do bad, I think God loves me less. When I do good, I think I, I deserve his love. And when I do bad, I think I deserve his anger. But his emotions are not like our emotions. They're, they're, come on, they are steadfast and they are sure. How God feels about you today is how God will feel about you for eternity. For God so loved. That's his disposition toward you. Now that, that love in and of itself is not enough for you to be transformed from death to life. But it is the reason why the offer of being transformed from death to life is offered to you. So Jesus revealed that the gravity of this assignment, the weight of it, he he saw this is what God has called me to do. The only person that God would call to do that would be his son. Are are you tracking with me? It was that gravity, the gravity of his divine assignment that revealed the truth of his identity. The the reality of his divine association reframed his identity. And I I use that word reframed on on, on purpose because I I think it reframes more in us than it did in him. I don't think Jesus was confused. 
okay? But we do see a shift, and here, here's where I'm trying to go with this. We do see a shift in the life of Jesus post his encounter with the Father in his baptism. Are you, you tracking with me? He, he references it here. He talks about John the Baptist. He's, he's talking about the voice that he heard. If you remember it, earlier in the Gospel of John, as, as Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist, not the same guy that wrote the book, it's a different John, that's okay, we don't have to go over there. And he's baptized by him, and he comes out of the water, and the Father says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. That, that moment we see a, a shift where, where he seems to go from being, the let me put it this way, the son of Mary and Joseph to functioning as the son of man and God. So that's what I mean by reframe. I, I don't want us to get down that slippery road that Jesus sort of like became self-aware at some point. Right, like that's, that's not the point. This isn't, this isn't Christian science, which is neither Christian nor science. Okay, this, this isn't just becoming self-actualization of the little Christ that's within you. The little Christ that's within you is a demon and an idol. So just get rid of that and go to the real Christ, okay? So let's just do that way. And, uh, and, and so, so what I mean by reframe is that this, this declaration that he had was the shifting point. This encounter that he had with the Father was the shifting point. He was called son by the Father. At, at his baptism, it was like the Father claimed him. He had that, that, that affirmation and that claim. And what I love about this is that was before, listen to me, before he had accomplished or achieved anything of the mission that he was called to do. The only record that we have of Jesus prior to this is being born and abandoning his parents. <laughs> right, like he hangs out in the temple while his parents leave which should be, listen, listen, parents, that should be the greatest relief text ever for you about being a bad parent. <laughs> Mary and Joseph are given the, they are entrusted with God and they lost him <laughs> at church. They like just caravan away and they're just like, I thought you had him. Right, like I don't know what bad thing you've done as a parent, but come on, that 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 is that relief. That's some relief. Come on, they lost him, and and, and God knew they were going to do it. Okay, so so Jesus is not accomplished. He's not done any miracles. He's not done any signs or wonders. Right, like he's built he's built furniture. He's been in the construction industry. That's that's what he's done. And yet the father says, I am well pleased with him. This, this association that the father was willing to have with him began to re, reframe his identity. His fatherhood, this is what we've been saying here, his fatherhood imparts our sonship. It's so important to me that, that we get this because if we, if we think it's the other way, then we become the decisive one and he becomes the dependent one. It's not about you deciding to see him differently. He is who he is. You don't get to change him. He is the father eternally. His fatherliness is what makes me a son. Yes, in seeing him differently, I'm able to see myself differently, but he's the decisive one. I'm the dependent one. And your sonship is the strengthening factor. It's only going to be strengthened by intimacy with your father. This is what we talked about last week. It's what I believe the Lord is really trying to drill into us as a people right now. 
is that you are, you, I want to say invited, but then I think I should say called, but the truth is I think you are commanded to be in intimacy with your father. You are commanded to be in intimacy with your father. We don't work for that, we receive that. And that is so backwards to us that the only thing we can call that is good news. Because it's so backwards. We have to earn everything else in our life, don't we? And, and then the problem for some of us is that we had, well, not some of us, all of us, is that we had flawed parents. Amen. That we had to sometimes earn their affection. And so we then take that bad example and we project it upon our Heavenly Father and think that we have to, you know, jump rope one-legged to make them love us. And that's, that, that could not be further from the truth. Christ has accomplished everything necessary to bring us back into right relationship with the Father. It's finished, he said. It's paid in full. There's nothing left for you to do but simply receive that. So the gravity of his divine assignment revealed his identity. The, the reality of his divine association reframed his identity. And I, I believe the intensity of his divine affection rooted his identity. That's where his foundation was. This is my what son? My beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. This is my beloved son. He says in John chapter five, the father loves the son. The foundation is his love for him and it should be your foundation as well. It should be your foundation as well. I'm... I, I, I want to try to pastor this here a little bit and, and make sure I'm clear. I think we all need a beloved baptism, not just a ceremonial washing. See, others were going to John the Baptist for a ceremonial washing called baptism. Baptism, we believe from a historical perspective, was was this final act that people would do that were outside the, the people of Israel, outside of national Israel. They would go through the process where they would say, I wanna be a part of Israel. I, I, wanna, I wanna serve Yahweh. I wanna serve, I wanna serve the God of Israel. I realize that he's the true God. And so there's a process that they had to go through and the end of that process was a ceremonial washing. This is why we believe the, the, the Jewish people, especially the leaders, got so offended by John the Baptist telling them they need to be baptized. They're going like, but I'm already in the club. I don't have to go through the initiation. But what they all failed to recognize was what John was trying to offer was what Jesus experienced. Not just a ceremonial washing. And I'm gonna be, this is, this is where I wanna just throw this out. This is between you and Jesus. I'm, this is not me trying to, to, to manipulate or, or, or anything, but I just wanna throw this out to you and, and ask you, have, have you had a beloved baptism or did you just have a ceremonial washing? Did you just wanna be in the club so you got dunked? Or, or did you have a moment like Paul describes baptism where in baptism you died and you were raised to a new kind of life. Where something actually happened in that moment. It wasn't just religious observation. It wasn't just doing the right thing. It wasn't just an outward sign of an inward change. It was an actual sacred moment that you can point back to and say, I know I'm a son because he said I was. One of the biggest revelations I've ever had is this word beloved. This is my 
beloved son. Roughly translated, this is the one on whom I bestow my love, beloved. He doesn't say, and he could have said, listen, he could have said about Jesus, this is my lovely son in whom I'm well pleased. But listen to me, in my fallen state, he can't say lovely about me. But he does still say beloved. Even when you're not lovely, you're still beloved. And until we learn to let that be the thing that roots our identity, his love and his affection, everything else will be shifting, sinking, slippery ground. But when we allow our roots to go deep in that, then we begin to live off of, listen, we begin to live off of what flows his love, not what falls our circumstances. Our roots go deep and find a stream that has no end. We become a part of a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Not because of what you can do, not because of what you will do, but simply because of his love. His scandalous, ridiculous love that he pours out upon you. You are loved by the Father. A man who's probably shaped my understanding of my relating to God more than anybody is, is a, a failed Catholic priest named Brendan Manning. And he has an amazing, amazing statement that, that I have written on more post-it notes and more Bibles and books than I care to admit. Here's it simply is, you are loved by God as you are, not as you should be. Now here's the deal, I think he fell short. I believe that statement, you are loved by God as you are, not as you should be. I think he missed the rest of the revelation though. And you're loved enough to not be allowed to remain as you are. But his love is more committed to making you as you should be than you are. And it's a reckless, raging fury that we call the love of God. It's not safe, and it's not easy. It'll destroy everything in its way to get to you. Listen, bad behavior won't keep it away, and good behavior won't either. I'll be safe from God's love if I just hide in church. Nope. I pray not this one. Because we are to be confronted by the reality of his love. You are loved by God. You are loved by God. He loves you, relates to you, and includes you in his purpose. And that's how you know who you are. If anything else, if anything else is who you are, you will struggle. But when that, his love and his, his relating to me, that he doesn't love me from afar, but he loves me up close, 
do you realize that your confession of your sins is not informing God? (laughs) If I don't tell him about it, he won't know about it. (laughs) And so we don't tell him about it. So we continue to live in it because we won't talk to him about it. Instead, he says, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. But we think we have to come to him polished and pretty and put together and earn our rest. But the problem is, he does, listen, 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 he doesn't give rest to the polished and pretty. He only gives rest to those who are weary and heavy laden. So your qualification this morning to come to him is your weariness and your heavy ladenness. And he gives you rest. So we don't stay there. Come on. You are loved as you are, not as you should be. And you are loved in a way that makes you not remain as you are, but makes you what you should be. Yes, his love forgives you, but his love also frees you. Yes, his love frees you, but his love also forms you into a new creation that is not the same as it used to be. Uh, Let's stand to our feet. I'm... I don't think my words are going to do any more. I think what is needed is his spirit to do what only his spirit can do. I do want to give us some homework, though. I don't do this every week, but I try to do this on occasion. Um, I didn't have time, and it also breaks my rules to go to another passage like this, but I want to give you some homework. I want you to jot down 2 Corinthians five sixteen through 21. Because we, this passage is Jesus talking about his, come on, his assignment, his association, and, and the affection that the Father has for him. I want you to go to 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through 21 and find yours. In here, Paul lays out, I believe, this same sort of uh, uh, assignment and association and, and affection that the Father has for us as his sons as well. But I, I want to just remind us, if Jesus really is who he says he is, It changes everything. Come on, it changes everything. It transforms us at the very core of who we are. It changes us. It means if if he really is the deliverer, that there is deliverance for anyone. You don't, listen, you don't have to, to, you don't have to accomplish your deliverance. You just simply have to be delivered. You don't have to achieve it. You don't have to earn it. For all the people that were raised in religion, you don't have to merit it either. So post-conversion, you don't have to now buck up and fly straight or else you're out. No, his, his love is what began the good work in you and his love is what's going to complete the good work that he began in you. Y'all understand this is not a license to live our lives apart from the way that God would call us to live our lives. This is the way we live our lives, the way God calls us to live our lives. There is no other way to do it. If you hear grace and and think license to sin, I would challenge you to say that you have not yet been converted because it's his kindness, come on, that leads me to repentance. Come on, it's his kindness. In his goodness, he leads me to repentance. In his love, he leads me to that. As I am, not as I should be. So this morning, if you're here and you have not surrendered your life to the love of God through the person and work of Jesus Christ, 
I want to encourage you this morning to do just that. It's not about fanfare or religious observation. It's not about bow your head, close your eyes, raise your hand, pray a prayer after me. None of those things are bad or evil, but they're also not necessary. What's necessary is for you to repent and believe the gospel. Repentance simply means to admit and abandon your sin. It's that confession that you're not telling God anything that he doesn't know. You're just finally agreeing with what he says. That all those other things that you're trying to find your identity in are ultimately failing. That's why Jesus said, I don't have to judge you. Moses can judge you. The thing that you trust in judges you. I doubt many of us, if any of us in this room trust in Moses, but we trust in the Moses of our own culture. I'm a pretty good person. I think I deserve God's love. I, I, I think I do pretty well for myself. I don't think I need to repent. I think God would be pretty darn lucky to have me. The reality is we admit and we abandon that line of thinking. We also admit and abandon the line of thinking that says I'm too sinful to be saved. That my sin is greater than his love. We admit and we abandon that that is a lie as well. Because again, we lie to ourselves. I'm worse than I think I am and I'm better than I think I am. Nope, you're just as bad as he says you are. Just that much. But in him there is newness of life. On in him there is forgiveness of sin and reconciliation to the Father. Not just get out of hell free card, not just get to go to heaven when you die, but live in unbroken, unbridled affection and intimacy with the Father every moment of every day. It can be yours, not because of what you have done or can do, but because of who he is and what he has done. And we simply repent and we believe. You can do that in your seat right where you are. If you want to do that with a person, we will have people down in this area, this lit area behind the chairs there to give you some privacy. Because listen, it's not about trying to boost my ego. I don't need you to raise your hand and come forward and tell me that you did it so that I feel better about myself. I need you to do that so that you know how the Father feels about you. For those of you here though that that would say, no, I've, I've, I've repented, I've, I believe the gospel, I'm trusting Christ, but I get the sense, if I'm gonna be honest, that many of us still struggle with this idea that God loves you. You believe, listen, you believe that God loves the church, that God loves Christians, that God loves everybody, but you don't believe that God loves you. I'm gonna give you homework starting right now. It was given to me 20 years ago and it has changed my life possibly more than anything else and I mean that even even in the sense of of my conversion I, I wonder if this homework assignment has changed me more than anything and this is simply it I want you starting right now every moment that you are aware of it to simply ask the father to show you his love in a way that will you will understand and I have no clue how he's going to do it I have no idea how he's gonna do it, but what you're asking is for him to show you his love in a way that you would understand so that you have a moment, you have a a spot that you can point back to and say, that's his love. I have mine. It's one of the most precious experiences I've ever had in my life. It's shaped the way I, I relate to God, my wife, my kids, my world, my everything. 
it was that moment, if I'm gonna be honest, that made me go, I'm gonna give my life to ministry. Because if God loves me that much, then I'll give everything to him. And I want every single one of you to have that same assurance. Not so that you can go into ministry full time, but so that you can live ministry full time. So that you can fulfill the assignment on your life, that you can enjoy the association with God and you can know his affection. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you are given the assignment of leading us into truth. And I thank you that the love of God is true. And so Holy Spirit, I ask for those bold enough to take the time. It might happen in a moment right now, or like me, it might take months of asking, of knocking. But I ask that you would reveal the love of the Father to every single person here bold enough to press into you and ask for it. And at that moment, that, that experience, that understanding, that picture, that, that, that it, whatever it might be for them would so radically reshape their lives that literally even their own family members would question that they're the same person that they used to be. That we would be shaped and formed and fashioned by your affection, by your love. Jesus, you would be glorified because of it, that your people would live the fulfillment of that which you purchased for them. God, that you'd be glorified and exalted in Jesus' name. Church, we're gonna move into our response. We're gonna open up prayer. We're gonna open up communion. If you're here and you're a believer, we have communion set out. We take by method known as antiquation, where we take a piece of bread or wafer and dip in the cup feel free to partake as you feel led and we're going to just worship the Lord together. Let's respond to the Lord.